thank you so very much. Uh, Pastor Jim is still one of my heroes and mentors, and I call on him every now and then when I have, and I'm stumped by things, and uh, so I so much appreciate him, and, and thank you, Central, for your support over the years. You know, 30 years on the field, just amazing, I'm not that old, so it, I don't know how that <laughs> happens. Praise the Lord. We're going to focus on the Buddhist world today and on prayer. And you know, when you focus on different things, you read the Bible differently. I found that uh, when I pastored, I read the Bible in kind of a leadership way, and everything I read, something about leadership jumped out, and then when I was preparing to go to missions, everything about missions, you know, we'd read the, the pages, and stuff about the world would jump out. And now, when I read the Bible, everything about prayer jumps out. And so we're going to talk about, about prayer this morning, and uh, prayerfully the Lord will touch your heart and challenge your heart. I want to read to start us out from 1 John chapter 4. Oh, and uh, thank you for sending the footprint team as well. We met with them yesterday, and, uh, and I believe that God's going to use them to break some spiritual powers, to open some doors, and uh, please do pray for them the 1st of November when they leave. And, uh, and, and you're on the cutting edge of what's happening within AGWM as as our leadership has recognized the need to focus on the Buddhist and Hindu worlds. We've focused for a long time uh, for a special focus on the Muslim world, and deservedly so. And uh, now is the time. I believe it now is the time for the Buddhist and Hindu worlds, and uh, your team is on the forefront, on the cutting edge of that. So thank you for sending them. So 1 John 4 and verse 4. Little children... You are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We all learned it as, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Father in heaven, we give you thanks that the King of kings, the eternal God, the almighty Lord, dwells in us, lives in our hearts. Wow. We thank you and praise you for that. Thank you for your presence within each and every one of us. We give you the glory for it. We ask your blessing and your blessing on our ears as we hear your voice this morning in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 30 years ago, my family and I went to Thailand and flew right up to Chiang Mai in the northern part of the country and where we were to live for the next 19 years. Uh, The last 11 we've lived in Bangkok. But uh, the first thing you have to do when you get to a country as a missionary family is look for housing. And so we rented a, uh, and I think there's a picture of us when we went to Thailand uh, that looks a little different from the way we look now. Uh, We went with three kids, uh, 12 and 10 and 5-year-old. And uh, that's probably the picture Jim remembers most (laughs) because uh, that was about the ages they were, a little bit younger when he left uh, Minneapolis. Uh, so we rented this, uh, how, uh, this little hotel, and then a realtor that first day took us around to about eight different houses to look for housing. And uh, one thing that we noticed right away is as we approached every house, there was something that looked like a wooden dollhouse on a pedestal in front of every house and in the corner of the yard. And uh, what the, that was, we were told, is a spirit house. And that spirit house houses the spirit owner of the property. They call it Jiao Tidin in Thai, which is the owner of the property. 
And so the belief system is that every piece of property in, in, in that nation is owned by a spirit. And, uh, and we as people are borrowing the property. And so anytime you do something, you cut a tree down, you build a house, you do something with property, uh, you have to ask permission for your, of your spirit. You have to give honor to some sort of sacrifice to it. And it, actually every day, uh, the uh, owner of the house or the spirit per, spiritual person of the house, usually the grandma or the mama, uh, will come out every single morning and will kneel down in front of that spirit house and will honor the spirit, will light incense, will leave uh, something to drink and, and a piece of fruit for the spirit to, to eat and, uh, and, and honors that spirit in, in the belief that if she is good to her spirit, that spirit will be good to her and she'll have a good day. Or the, house will, the whole household will have a good day. And uh, if something bad happens, they'll feel like, well, maybe... I offended my spirit. They'll go back home and give some more gifts to that spirit. So uh, everywhere you, you look, there's these spirit houses in front of not only homes, but hospitals and schools and businesses and everywhere you go. So it was a little nerve-wracking to walk by these spirit houses and go into these homes with our kids and, and our new family coming from Minnesota, um, not very uh, familiar with what was going on. We found a house that did not have a spirit house in front of the house, and we thought, that's a good thing. And we went into the house only to find that the second floor of that house was a spirit room. The entire room was set aside for spirit worship. There was a large table against one wall, and it was piled full of idols, burning candles, burning incense. I mean, just coming up the stairs, you could sense something there, uh, something powerful there. Set off to one side of the table was a chair, and leaning against the back of the chair was a large life-size portrait of, of an Indian guru uh, uh, from his waist to his head, and he, with big hair, long beard, and the owner of the house told us, uh, that's someone that I gain wisdom from. I, 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 I talk to him every day, and uh, he gives me insights and wisdom, so I channel with this guy. And set back from that chair a couple of feet was a kneeling pillow, and there were wax drippings all around the front of that pillow, so you knew that's where she knelt to, to approach this, this Indian guru on a daily basis. And um, it was, the atmosphere was so dark there that my son, who was 10 years old at the time, said to uh, Janie, my wife, Mom, my stomach hurts. I can't be here. I have to go outside. And he went outside and sat on the front steps. And so we, I left that house heading back to the hotel that evening thinking, what have I gotten myself into? And, and is this dangerous for my family? How are we, did we do the right thing with our kids? And we sat down on the floor in the guest, ho- guest house that evening, and I said, let's just pray. Let's ask Jesus what to do. The house we liked best was that guru house. It was the right location, the right price, but it was also the spiritually most powerful house. And so as we sat and began to pray, almost immediately the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart, John, 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And that came so powerfully to me. I said, stop, the Lord has answered our prayer. Uh, we're supposed to take the guru house because the, the living God in us is going to be is greater than all that that we're going to face. And it didn't really matter if it was the guru house, any house. They were all spiritual places. And, and, and a housewarming in Thailand, it means uh, not exactly the same as it does here. When you move into a new home, it means a spiritual house cleaning. And that house needed spiritually house cleaning. 
And when we moved into that house, uh, my prayer life was very, very good, believe me. Uh, because, uh, but we did invite this church to come in before we moved in, and they prayed over the house and walked around the perimeter and prayed. And uh, we began to learn some things about prayer and about spiritual battle. So we heard about <clears throat> Israel's battle. This is a battle as well. There's uh, spiritual battles going on in our world, and this is one that we had to face. But throughout 30 years of ministry, 1 John 4.4 became a theme verse for us because there were many, many times when we would encounter uh, very powerful spiritual, direct powerful spiritual challenges that would make us think, how are we going to move forward? How are we going to advance? How are we going to overcome these obstacles? But once again, again and again, the Holy Spirit would reassure us that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And we don't have to be afraid of the things that are ahead. And I, and, I, and I feel like that's a word for all of us this morning. Because whatever you're facing, whatever challenges there are, the living God is right here. He lives in us. He, the God who created all things, who is above all, lives right here. And, and be assured that he's here and whatever you're facing, you're able to overcome because of his greatness and his presence and his power. And so uh, we live in the Buddhist world. The Buddhist world is, is a big place. About a billion people live in Buddhist contexts around the world. A billion people is a lot of people. It's uh, like three times the population of the United States of America. All of them are Buddhists. And, and they're very challenging to reach with the gospel. Places like Thailand, where we've lived now <clears throat> the past 30 years, uh, after almost 200 years of missionary efforts without... Uh, legal efforts to proclaim the gospel to win souls for Jesus, uh, there's still fewer than 1% evangelical believers in the country, 0.7. And praise God, if I have time toward the end, I'll, I'll tell his testimony, but in the last four years, we've gone from 0.7, which it was when I came to Thailand 30 years ago, to 0.75. So we've increased by one half, one half of a tenth of a percent, which is which is a victory for us, praise God. God is beginning to move in some special ways, and I believe that he's moving as a direct result of human prayer. And so God moves throughout the world, but he doesn't do it by himself. God moves and works through people, and he wants us to partner with him in prayer. And so I want to share a few things about prayer this morning that the Lord's been putting on my heart <clears throat> There are several, there are many kinds of prayer. Oh, before I get there, I want to give you one other reason to pray for the Buddhist world. And it's, uh, it's because of spiritual darkness that is, it's a different world. This worship of spirits, the evidence of demonic presence is much more uh, readily seen in that country. And so I'm going to, I prepared a little short video. So if we could show that video about two temples in Thailand and the spiritual effects there that are going on. Can we roll that? I lived in Chiang Mai, Thailand, just a couple of miles from a temple called Doi Kham Temple. Uh, this temple that was built in the 700s, so it's like 1400 years old. These are old places. And so they have an annual ceremony where they invite the demons to come out of the hills and come and eat this this water buffalo. And the way it's done is they bring in a person 
who's uh, the shamanistic person, that, uh, a witch doctor, basically. And uh, he works himself into a frenzy and becomes demon-possessed, and so he takes in these demons that come out of the hills, and uh, then he rips into a wild uh, uh, water buffalo with his knife and starts to cut it up and then starts to eat this raw flesh. Happens every year, and it be it's become a media uh, uh, event uh, on an annual basis in Chiang Mai. Another temple nearby is a uh, tattoo temple where tattoos are applied by demon-possessed monks who are using uh, spirit-possessed ink they concocted themselves that includes bits of hair or body parts from dead ancestors. And, uh, and they believe that applying these tattoos are ways of keeping bad spirits out. But what it actually happens is they're invoking the power of demonic spirits uh, into the, the people that they're tattooing. Uh, during the annual Y Crew uh, Day, Thai people by the thousands who's received tattoos from these monks come to that temple. And as they sit there in this massive crowd, uh, you'll see one after another after another suddenly become demon-possessed and they begin to shake and shout and some run around and, and hurt themselves and have to be restrained. They have guards on duty to, to help take these people out as they uh, demonstrate demonic influence in their, in their life. So these are two, two of 40,000 temples, uh, Buddhist temples in the nation of Thailand a country with 94% Buddhists. And uh, pray for, be praying for your footprint team. We're gonna go to both of those temples during uh, their visit in November and pray. That's, uh, we believe that there's power in prayer. God has not left us uh, defenseless <clears throat> in this battle. Amen, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse three and four says, although we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We don't have to be afraid of this stuff. This is, God has prepared us for this. God has given us weapons of warfare, and prayer is the most powerful tool and weapon that we have to reach the world for Jesus Christ. Uh, it's, I tell our, our missionaries uh, in, in Pan-Asia, the Buddhist world, that until we realize that prayer is even more important than the work we're doing to reach the lost, we're not going to have enough prayer partners. And, and I believe that. I believe that prayer is even a more potent tool uh, to reach the gospel than, than, than going and being there myself. In fact, Moses demonstrates that. And I got this from your pastor when he, I think that was your first week here or something, the sword, the uh, staff is more powerful than the sword. Uh, <clears throat> when Moses in Exodus 17, uh, the Israel faced the Amalekites and they were fighting the battle, Moses took his position up on top of the mountain while he watched the battle. And, uh, the, and, and the people in the valley, the soldiers were fighting with their swords. They could not win unless the staff was in the air. And I believe that's a spiritual principle. Unless there is a staff in the air, unless there is prayer taking place, no matter how hard the workers in the valley are working and fighting and battling, they can't win unless there is prayer. And many times throughout our 30 years of ministry in Thailand, we felt 
there's not enough staff in the air. There's not enough staff. We need the staff. And, and I, one thing that I would love to, to, to place in the hearts and minds of every supporting church and every supporter out there is that you are very, very much a part of what's happening in the world through your prayers. And without your prayers, things cannot be accomplished. Things cannot happen. Uh, I want to share uh, uh, four different kinds of prayer. Now, there's many kinds of prayer but I'm going to share about four different kinds of prayer because I want to highlight uh, this last kind of prayer. Uh, first kind of prayer we could say is Thanksgiving prayer, and we did that this morning. Thanksgiving and worship is a kind of a prayer, uh, but it, and it's the kind of prayer that all of us should be engaged in every day. In fact, it's the kind of prayer that invokes, we can use the word invokes the presence of God. When we lift up our hands in prayer, when we worship the Lord, uh, the psalmist David says, what, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Uh, praise and worship uh, invokes the presence of God in our place, in our lives. And I believe the more we worship God in our place, the more, and, and it, this is true with our heart, but the more we worship God in a place, this is my experience in that, that guru house. The more I worshiped God and the more I prayed and spent time with Jesus in our home, the more powerful his presence became. And I was noticing that this morning as I was worshiping here. This is a place of worship and prayer, and, and the presence of God is powerful here. And I believe whenever you spend time and energy in prayer and worship in your place, in your home, in your car, at, at work, when you worship God, his presence comes. If you feel far from the Lord, if you feel like he's not in touch, just worship him. Deliberately worship. Whether you feel like it or not, worship is, is acknowledging God's greatness. And that, the psalmist says, opens the door for God to dwell. And Psalm 22 says uh, that the praises of Israel enthrone God. So that gives him a throne to, to be seated on. And, uh, and so thanksgiving is a form of prayer. And Jesus, when he taught us to pray, he said, start with hallowed be your name. Thanksgiving prayer. There's another kind of prayer we could call communal prayer. Communal prayer means just hanging out with God. And I believe that's why God created us. God created us to be with us, to spend time with us, to commune with us. Um, I, I, the song we sang this morning, day and night, night and day. Let incense arise. And if incense, and we heard from the, the word, the, the, the word, the interpretation of tongues this morning, that uh, our prayers are incense that can arise before the Lord. And it's day and night, night and day. So communal prayer is something that can happen all the time. I, I, and Moses is such a great example of communal prayer being prayer that listens more than speaks. So remember the uh, Exodus, I think, 32 passage where Moses sets up this tent of meeting with the Lord outside the camp of Israel. And every time he goes out of his tent to go to that tent of meeting, uh, all of Israel gets out of their tent and watches him walk. Uh, it's such a great momentous event. They say, oh, Moses is going to the tent of meeting. And they all get out of their tent. They watch him walk out to the tent of meeting. And when he gets in the tent, this cloud falls over the tent, and it, but here's what it says. It, says. it doesn't say Moses talks to God there. It, it says God speaks with Moses. God spoke to Moses. So when Moses went to the tent, God spoke to him more than he speaks to God, and I think that's communal prayer. It's us listening to God 
more than talking to God. And it's part of, I think, what Paul is talking about in 1 Thessalonians 5 when he says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing doesn't mean that we jabber all the time. We talk to God all the time, but it means we are listening to him at all times. I had a friend uh, that uh, I met in my freshman year in college in, at North Central in Minneapolis, and he said, he, first time I met him, he said, <clears throat> hey, Mark, my name is Keith. Uh, what's God speaking to you about today? And when he asked me that, I thought, I should know the answer to that question. <laughs> and I thought, I, I, I don't know, so... I said, I'm sorry, I don't know. And he said, well, let me tell you what God's speaking to me about today. And he, and he told me. The, the second time we met, he said the same thing. Mark, hey, Mark, what's God speaking to you about today? And I thought, oh, boy. You know, I should have prepared for that. And, and so, again, uh, but, but the third time we were going to meet, you know, I thought, hey, uh, I, I better prepare for this. And so what did I do? What's God speaking to me about today? I, I prayed, and I said, God, what what are you doing in my life? What are you speaking to me about? And guess what? God answered. He said, I mean, immediately I knew, yeah, this is what God's doing in my life. This is how he's preparing me. This is how he's challenging me. Here's how he wants me to change. And so I was ready. And I met Keith, and he said, hey, Mark, what's God speaking to you about today? And I said, let me tell you. Here, this is what God's speaking to me about. Every time I met Keith, I was ready to answer that question. Uh, but that became a practice of my life. One of the reasons we don't know what God's speaking to us about is we don't ask him. We're, we're not asking, and we're not listening. We're not expecting him to answer. And you might say, well, uh, how do you hear God's voice? Try it, and God knows how to speak to us. But listen, listening more than talking. And, and so communal prayer is just saying, God, today, I want my ears open to your voice throughout the day. I want to know what you're saying to me. I want to be guided and led and directed by you. That's communal prayer, and it's the kind of prayer that I believe God loves for us to pray. And then there's uh, petition prayer. Petition prayer is asking God for stuff, and guess what? God wants us to ask him for things. He's like a father who wants to give us good gifts. It's good to petition the Lord, but that's not the only kind of prayer there is. And there's a deeper level called intercession. So what is intercession? And here's, uh, here's what's been challenging my theology as of late. As I've been studying intercession, Moses is a great example of inter intercession, but intercession, I believe, is the kind of prayer that can change the mind of God. Okay, uh, I threw that out there. Now, change the mind of God. Does God change his mind is the question. So how can... And this is, the, this is a theological thing that people have been uh, talking about for a long time, free will versus the sovereignty of God. Does God change his mind? Well, throughout Scripture, we notice that there are several instances where God changed his mind. And at least two of those, three actually, uh, happened during Moses' career. Moses sums uh, some of those up in Deuteronomy chapter 9, if you just want to go along there and follow up, but I'll just review it by saying, uh, summarize it by saying, the first one happened during the Mount Sinai incident, when, uh, when Moses incident uh, experience, when Moses goes up on the mountain and receives the Ten Commandments, and he's up there 40 days and 40 nights. Meanwhile, Israel in the valley uh, convinces Aaron to make the golden calf, and they're worshiping the golden calf, and Moses comes down the mountain, and God says to, to Moses, what? I'm done with this people. I'm going to wipe them all out. I'm going to completely abolish them from the face of the earth, 
and I'm going to start over with you, Moses. And Moses falls on his face before the Lord. In fact, in, in Deuteronomy 9, it says he, he fasts and prays for 40 days and 40 nights. How he does that on top of the other 40 days and 40 nights, I'm not sure. But he fasts and cries out to God, and he reminds God of his promises, and he calls out for mercy and for grace. And guess what? At the end of 40 days and 40 nights, God relents, or he changes his mind about that, that, that judgment that he was going to place on Israel. It happens again later in that chapter. Moses reviews it when they get to Kadesh Barnea, and they're going to go. They send the 12 spies into Israel, uh, into Canaan, and uh, 10 come back with a bad report. Once again, God says... That's it. I'm done with his people. I'm starting over with you, Moses. And Moses says, God, if you do that, wipe my own name out of the book. So we find that inter Moses' intercession, once again, 40 days and 40 nights, whether that's literal or not, we're not sure, but, uh, but, Mo but intercession involves time, energy, uh, sacrifice, uh, the willingness to give up your own life. Uh, it, it, intercession is beyond petition. It's throwing your whole self into it. And what is it that God changes his mind about in the scriptures? The, there's only one thing that I found that God will change his mind about throughout scripture. He doesn't change his promises. His promises are always the same, and his nature never changes. Hebrews uh, 13 says God's the, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So his nature doesn't change. His promises never change. But one thing that God changes, I've noticed in Scripture, is his judgment, his promise of judgment. Why is that? Because God does not want anyone to perish but all to come to repentance. When God promises judgment, he does that for the purpose of bringing people to himself because God is so passionate about the lost. And when we, as God's people, partner with him, in, in, in calling out to the Lord on behalf of the lost, God answers those prayers. God wants us to pray those prayers. And in fact, in Ezekiel chapter 22, one of the most scary passages in the scripture, uh, speaking about God's sovereignty versus our people's involvement. Remember when God says through Ezekiel, I searched for a man to rebuild the walls, to stand in the gap on behalf of the people, so that what? So that I would not have to destroy them. So God had to destroy them because of his holiness and his righteousness. But, but he was looking for a person to partner with him. He was looking for intercessors, intercessors to stand between him and judgment. But he found none. And so the following verse is what? So I had to destroy them. He didn't want to. He was looking for people. He was looking for our involvement. He was looking for our partnership, but he didn't find anyone, so he had to carry out his judgment. What a responsibility that, that we have to stand up and to intercede on behalf of the lost. And, and I believe that when we intercede on behalf of the lost, God goes out of his way to do amazing things to reach lost people. God doesn't, do, God doesn't evangelize on his own. But when we intercede, God does special things. You all know, we all know, loved ones who it just, we've tried to share the gospel with them, and they're not coming to Jesus. It might have been years we've shared the gospel, but they're not coming to Jesus. They just don't seem interested. 
Uh, will it ever happen? Let me give you a word this morning. Don't give up. Don't give up. And in fact, don't just petition God for them. Intercede for them. Spend time in agonizing before the Lord. Time before the Lord. Self-sacrifice. That's what intercession is. And guess what? God moves mountains to change people's hearts and lives when we intercede like that. I want to encourage you, if you have a loved one that's not come to Jesus, purpose to intercede, purpose to spend time, purpose to agonize, purpose to, to sacrifice on their behalf in prayer, and God's going to do something special in their lives. Several years ago, I was talking to one of my friends who's a missionary in Bangladesh, and we were talking about something amazing that God had been doing, has been doing in the Muslim world. And all of us have probably heard uh, of, of, of Muslims being drawn to Jesus throughout the world, in the Middle East, in Indonesia, throughout the world, wherever Muslims are, through visions and dreams. Jesus appears to them and says, I'm Jesus, believe in me, find a church, find a Christian, look, look at your, your Bible. And, and Muslims are all over the world are coming to Jesus like that. When, I, when I, my friend told me, you know what, in my 19, 20 years of ministry in Bangladesh, I can't think of even one single Muslim who came to Jesus without having a dream or vision. They all do. And sometimes multiple dreams. And when I heard that, I said, forgive me, I said, that's not fair. That's not fair. Why isn't that happening in the Buddhist world? Why is that happening to Muslims all the world? And he reminded me of Juma Prayer Fellowship. It's something that started about 40 years in the Assemblies of God. And today, they say, uh, look on the app, the, the Juma Prayer Fellowship app, they say we have 60,000 people praying and fasting on Fridays for Muslims. And guess what? About 15 years ago, Jesus starts doing something he doesn't usually do. He, he evangelizes himself. Why? Because he's answering prayers. He's appearing to them in visions and dreams. I'm jealous for that, for the Buddhist world, for a billion people in the world who need to know Jesus. And so uh, we started uh, several years ago, Change the Map, which is a prayer initiative on behalf of the Buddhist world. Our Change the Map uh, has developed now into an app, into a community, and you can put that, uh, that, that last screen up there. Uh, this, uh, with, through this community, we believe as people cry out and call out to God, as 50,000 people is our goal, but as, as thousands of people call out to the Lord on a regular basis for the Buddhist world, God's going to do something great. God's going to start changing people. And it's almost my time, but I think I have time for this, this one testimony. About uh, six years ago in Thailand, the king, uh, seven years ago now, the king of Thailand passed away. He'd been the king for uh, almost 70, at 70 years, I think, at that point. Revered, very revered king. And, um, uh, and at the same, he, he passed away in October, and for 90 days, a decree went out, this is a kingdom, a decree went out that no one could have any parties, any celebrations for 90 days, for three months. And everyone had to wear black. In fact, we had to wear black for a year. For, it was, the, the law was six months, but everyone in Thailand, us included, the foreigners, we, we just had black on every day, every day uh, outside the house for a year. Our black ward were really expanded during that time. So, uh, the, so this church 
in central Thailand had planned a Christmas outreach, which they do every year. They'd saved $1,000, which is a lot of money for a church like that. And, um, but they couldn't have a Christmas party. No, no parties, right, for, for three months. <clears throat> so they said, what are we going to do? Let's, should we save the money for next year or use it? And say, what we're going to do is we're going to share the Christmas story in our surrounding villages and uh, use the money to buy some little gifts for the kids and hand out some gifts. So they uh, approached leaders from 14 small villages that surrounded them. And uh, the first miracle was that, that every, all of the 14 said, yes, you may come and tell a little Christmas story and hand out gifts to the kids. That's a miracle because they're anti-Christian. In these, these leadership, uh, leadership anywhere doesn't want Christ, Christian things. Well, Christmas is more of a uh, cultural holiday to them. So in all, all 14 villages, they shared the God, uh, Christmas story, handed out some gifts to the kids, and were led by the Holy Spirit to say, uh, is anyone here interested in hearing more about Jesus? And here's the second miracle, and I believe this is a result of prayer. This is from people praying. Someone in every village, all 14 villages, someone raised their hand, and 14 house churches were started that continued to grow, continued to move, and guess what? Uh, today there are more than 3,000 house churches that have been started from this movement, mass water baptisms in Thailand. Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Answer to prayer. Answer to prayer. Uh, the first Saturday in September, I think it was like the 4th or something, you can look it up on YouTube, look up mass water baptism in Thailand. Almost 3,000. There were 2,900 and some people were water baptized in this little reservoir in central Thailand, new, brand new Christians, and that was like the fourth mass water baptism they've had in Thailand. God is doing something that has never happened before in the Buddhist world that I know of. I, this is unprecedented, and I believe it happens when, when pe because people pray. When we pray, hearts get hungry for God. I had, a, I had a missionary give me a call, and he said, guess what? Two young guys, Buddhist kids, came and approached me and said, tell me how I can become a Christian. He was so excited. That doesn't happen in Thailand. But it happens when the Holy Spirit of God grips people's heart and opens their, their hearts and gives them a hunger for Jesus. It's not hard to lead people to Christ. You know, the easiest evangelism I've ever had in my life is when people come to me and say, tell me how to be a Christian. Wow, that's easy. Uh, and, and I believe that starts with prayer. When we pray and ask God to open hearts and lives, the Holy Spirit does a work that we cannot do. And, uh, and so your prayers and our prayers together are going to change an atmosphere, are going to open nations, are going to start church planting movements and house church movements like that throughout the world as we are ready to intercede. So my ask for you this morning is would you... Would you join us in prayer? Would you consider joining us in prayer? What that means, if you scan uh, the uh, QR code there or download the app, we also have a Change the Map app that's easier for some of you. Or if uh, neither of those things are easy for you, maybe it's easier to meet me at the table in the back and we have a, a sheet you can write your name and your, your email address on there. But let's together... I believe that God wants us to pray, first of all. He wants us to pray for the lost. He's looking for partners. He's looking for us to say, God, we're going to fight for you. We're going to fight for the lost. And, 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 and so he wants you to pray for your loved ones and your lost friends. 
but he wants us to pray for the Buddhist world, and he's going to do some miraculous things. I believe that uh, the map will change as we, as we pray. Would you join us in prayer? Would you stand, please? Let's just close this time in a, in a time of prayer, and then I believe Pastor Jim is going to call us to, uh, to more response. But I just want to pray for us now. First, I want to pray for... Uh, first, let's just think about an unsaved loved one that needs to know Jesus and, and, and commit. Would you commit to really attacking the throne of God, coming to the Lord on their behalf and interceding for them? Because when we do that, God's going to open their heart in a special way. And then secondly, let's just lift up the Buddhist world this morning. Father in heaven, we come to you in Jesus' name. Oh, we thank you, God, that you are passionate about the lost. Thank you that you are wishing that none would perish, none but all would come to repentance, O oh Lord. And so right now, Lord, we lift up our unsaved loved ones. We lift them up to you right now, and we pray in Jesus' name, O oh God. We appeal to heaven, O oh God. We appeal to heaven in the name of Jesus that you would touch them in a special way, that you would turn their heart, you would give them a hunger and a thirst for truth. For you, O oh Lord God, we pray. Lord, give them a desire to know you. Let them come to us saying, oh, help us. Lord, help us come to Jesus. Oh, Lord, we pray. And Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning. Lord, that you would inspire them and call them to intercede, to intercession, true intercession, to sacrifice, to spend time and energy. Lord, to call on heaven on behalf of the lost. And Lord, this morning we lift up a billion people in the Buddhist world. Oh God, we thank you for what you're doing in central Thailand. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, we pray that you would do that throughout the Buddhist world, Lord, throughout China, through, through Japan, through Thailand, through Sri Lanka, through the Buddhist nations. We ask that you would sweep across those lands and bring people, Lord, to see you, to desire you, to want you, to know you, and raise up church planning movements, raise up house church movements, we pray. Oh, God, call people to yourself, Lord, we pray. Lord, we ask that you'd move in hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, help us, Lord, to change the map. Lord, through our prayers, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Hallelujah.